Hey, welcome to Whitefields Community Church Sermon Extra. It's great to have you with us again this week. And uh, we're here filming at our new location. And uh, we've moved moved locations since we last uh, were online and on YouTube and on Facebook. And so you can find us at uh, 252950 Colorful Avenue. And if you're in town and uh, you'd like to join us online at the moment, so, but sometime in the future when we're allowed to have physical gatherings again, uh, you're welcome to join us here at our service on Sunday morning. But we have begun a uh, new series called uh, Desiring the Kingdom. And Pastor Nick is with me. He's the pastor of Whitefields Community Church here in Longmont, Colorado. And we've started this series called Desiring the Kingdom, a study through the books of First and Second Kings. And uh, we're two weeks into it now, and we've come to chapter 3, uh, where, you know, it's the famous prayer of Solomon. Lord, you know, uh, God asks him, what do you want? And Solomon prays for wisdom. So if you haven't uh, been able to uh, listen to those sermons, you can catch it online, YouTube, and on Facebook, or at whitefieldschurch.com. Uh, you can download the ser- uh, sermons there up on the podcast, Google Play, and all those uh, places wherever you get your podcasts from. So I definitely encourage you to get over there and listen to them. And if you enjoy it, just share, like it, and uh, pass it on to your friends just to be blessed uh, through those messages. But, you know, a lot of questions kind of arise from this particular chapter. It's probably one of the mo- more well-known chapters of the, the Old Testament and uh, so one of the questions that kind of arises is that was, was wisdom the best thing that, you know, Solomon could have asked for? Yeah, I mean, I would say on the one hand, God was pleased with what Solomon asked for. And he was pleased with what Solomon didn't ask for. That's another part of it. He says he specifically actually lists the things that Solomon didn't ask for. You didn't ask for long life. You didn't ask for money. You didn't ask for the death of your enemies. Um, and he says, and so I will give you this. And he says, not only that, I will also give you the things, many of the things you didn't ask for. I will bless you with long life and with money. Um, and so was that a good thing? Well, I would say it was a good thing. Your question was, was it the best thing? And I think that my answer to that would be no. And I think that it's really important that we contrast Solomon with his father, uh, with uh, David. And the reason is because as we talked about this Sunday, Solomon is uh, a, a man who has a divided heart, whereas David was the man who the Bible says had a heart for God or a heart after God's own heart. Um, and it's actually really interesting because David literally says at one point, if I could ask for one thing, this is what I would ask for. Uh, he says in the Psalms, you know, one thing I ask this one thing have I sought after that I would dwell in your courts all the days of my life. And, and he describes it, it as like, as if he's like a bird, you know, just hanging out in the, the, the um, colonnades of the temple, being around the Lord. And he says, delighting in your presence. That's what David's strongest desire was. And it's so interesting because, right, Solomon's whole thing is, I want to be the best king I can be. David wanted to be a good king. And yet you might remember that in 2 Samuel, when his son Absalom led a rebellion and tried to steal the kingdom from him, David was kind of like, I'm, I'm okay with not being king. Like he, he cared so much more about his relationship with God than he did with what he did for God. And I think that that's an aspect of why Solomon had a heart after God's own heart. It's because I would say this, God cares very much about the things that we do for him. 
but he cares more about who we are with him. And I, I think that uh, it's just a word of caution to all of us that, you know, I think like people in ministry, right? And this isn't just people in like vocational ministry like us, we work for the church, but um, people who serve in the church, people who serve the Lord in different areas, we're all serving the Lord in different ways, right? Uh, whether it's with our kids, etc. We can get to this point where we become super utilitarian with our prayers, where we're like, uh, I pray when I need God to help me out, right? So maybe I'm teaching uh, the youth this week. God, I need a word from you uh, so I can lead the youth well. Well, that's a good prayer. And we should ask for that, right? James says, if you lack wisdom, ask for it. Um, but at the same time, what we saw at the very end of the sermon was that the true wisdom that we need, the ultimate manifestation of wisdom is Jesus. And so what we desire under our desire for wisdom is ultimately found in Jesus. My point being that we can get, you know, you can get to the point where as a pastor, you're always fighting this, you know, just from my perspective, uh, and I'm sure yours too, which is like, um, you pray when you're seeking the Lord for a word to share, but you can't let that happen. You can't just read your Bible when you need something to, to share with somebody else, or you need to hear from the Lord in that way. It's not just about being a good pastor. It's about being a Christian. It's not just, and, and I apply this, again, that's my life, but I apply this to everybody else out there. What, no matter what way you're serving the Lord, don't get utilitarian about it, right? Become like David where you say, who I am with the Lord is primary, and out of that flows what I do for the Lord. But like, you know, with David and Saul, Saul's a great example in the same way where Saul got to this point where the thought of not being king was more than he could ever handle. So he went crazy when that was taken away from him because he lost his identity. And he got to the point where he was willing, and he was a progression. First, he just wanted David gone. Then he wanted David dead by somebody else's hand. And then he said, no, no, no. If you capture him, hold on to him. I want to kill him with my own hands. And he got to this point, and why? Well, because David was a threat to his identity because his identity was wrapped up in what he did for God, but he, he was lacking in who he was with God. And we see that with Solomon, that he loves the Lord, but there's a but. And uh, it seems that Solomon's much more concerned about doing great things for God, like he's going to build the temple. Um, what David was like, God told David, I don't want you to build a temple. And David was like, okay. You know, I just see this like open handedness with David where he's like, OK, uh, and hey, God, if you want somebody else to be king, I'm cool with that, too. Right. But he said, but my one desire is that I could delight in your presence all the days of my life. Yeah, it reminds me of that Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, kind of the, the order by which those things happen. And then even in the New Testament, seek first the kingdom of God and these things shall be added to you so no definitely a gr great thought you know great you know you never really thought of that you think of just you know reading this passage and reading and like you know, that those kind of questions like was that really the best thing you could ask for you know but we also have there's another theme that's brought up in here the theme that's kind of carried on through through the kings uh through you know these books and just kind of in the the for the kings of judah and israel um, is the idea of these high places and uh, just, you know, some, there's sometimes a little bit of confusion around 
what were these high places and why were they wrong at one time and they were not wrong another time? And Yeah. Yeah, that's really important. And uh, you know what's so interesting in the book of Kings, and we're going to see this over the next couple of weeks as well, is that so much of what's talked about in Kings, you, to understand it, you have to go back to the law of Moses. And uh, we're going to see that as we come up to uh, chapter four as well. But we see it in chapter three, and it's in relation to the high places. So let me explain this whole idea of the high places, because I know that a lot of people were like, wait, what's going on? Because here's what's so confusing. In, I believe it's chapter three or, or verse three or four. I've got it right here before me. But um, it says that he went to, he, he says he loved the Lord, but he made sacrifice at the high places. And it says that he went up to Gibeon which was the great high place, and he sacrificed there, and that's where God spoke to him. You're like, well, was he doing something wrong by going to Gibeon? And the answer to that is, no, he wasn't doing something wrong by going to Gibeon. So let me, let me explain this, um, and please let me know if it doesn't make sense. Okay, so um, in Israel, before the temple was built, the common thing, now the high places, refers to the fact that Israel's a hilly place, and they would often build... Um, temples and places of worship, so not necessarily temples, sorry, altars on high places, meaning top of hills. And that was, that was because these, these are generally closer to, the idea was you're closer to God, right? Now, of course, God says that's not how it works, and we know that, of course. But in Deuteronomy, it was told to the people, you can build altars, but those altars can never be used for pagan worship. So if it was an altar to God, it could never be used for mixed worship. Um, so there were a few places where there were sanctioned high places, uh, meaning sanctioned altars to Yahweh. And those places that we know of um, are listed and they're visited over and over. Shiloh was an important one. Another one was at Hebron. There was also one at Gilgal, which is the first place where they entered the promised land. Gilgal's right there on the River Jordan uh, near Jericho. So we know that there's, there, there were those. Then there was also Gibeon. And the reason Gibeon's called the Great High Place is because Saul moved the tabernacle to Gibeon during his time. Now, you remember that the Ark of the Covenant was taken away in 2 Samuel. It was stolen by some people. Uh, and then David brought the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel, and it was kept at a few different places. And finally, David brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And when he did that, he built a separate tent for it there in Jerusalem, but he left the tabernacle at Gibeon. So if you wanted to make sacrifices, you needed to go to um, one of the high places that were sanctioned and monitored. And we know that, of course, from like Leviticus, we know that there was a priestly order and system. So what that means is if you went to Hebron or Shiloh, those were not only sanctioned and okay, they were monitored so that they weren't ever used for pagan practice. And there were... Um, they were regulated by the priestly system. But if you wanted to do any of the great high holidays for the Jewish people, right, seven a year, um, and, and you would have to go to the tabernacle, which was at Gibeon. If you want to do anything special, you had to go there, which is why what we see there in 1, Samuel, or sorry, 1 Kings 3 is Sam, or Solomon's inauguration ceremony, and it takes place at the tabernacle in Gibeon. 
Okay, so there were those sanctioned high places. Now, the problem was, though, that all over Israel, uh, aside from these regulated and sanctioned ones, there were also what we might call public altars. And the way these public altars worked was that there could be, uh, you know, you could go to them and you might worship uh, Yahweh and you make your sacrifice to Yahweh. But again, you're doing that apart from the priestly system and order. You're kind of going rogue, let's put it that way, right? And you're doing it on your own. And the, there's a whole line of people. The next guy behind you, he's going to be making a sacrifice perhaps to a pagan god. And this was expressly condemned in Deuteronomy. You were not allowed to do this. But apparently Solomon did this. The other thing was after the temple was constructed, um, all of the other high places which were regulated were shut down. Everything was consolidated in the temple. And yet people continued to build and maintain public altars. And so you read this throughout the books of Kings that this king did this and he did good, for example, in some cases, but he did not tear down the high places. Now, what are those high places? Those are the unregulated public altars, which were forbidden by the law of Moses. So what we see with Solomon going to these places, um, both before and after the building of the temple, it just shows that Solomon has a, a he kind of plays it fast and loose with the Bible. He kind of doesn't, he doesn't have a real respect for the word of God. So in, in some ways it says he loved the Lord, but, right? And that, that's a big but. And that but is going to uh, take over Solomon's life and it's going to drag him down. And we're going to see that as we go on. Um, he did not have a, a real regard for the word of God. And we see that is his disregard for it in these in how he treats these high places, even though he knew that it was against the rules. We see that also with his wives. We're going to see it more in chapter four, and it's really going to be the characteristic of his life. And it's so ironic because he himself, as he's writing Proverbs, writes this phrase, you know, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and yet his fear of the Lord, to me, it seems to be clearly lacking because if you fear the Lord, you'll do what his word says. Yeah, I mean, just just thinking on that thought, the the fact that you know the, the Bible says Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived, but he, you know some of his decision making makes you wonder, like where his heart was. Because if you're so wise, why on earth did you make these decisions? You know, and that's that's even more condemning, I think. In a you know, you can fault a fool for not knowing, having lack of knowledge, but you can't fault a wise man, you know, and maybe that's the key, his fear, fear of the Lord and the order, you know, that did he delight himself in the Lord first, you know, and um, yeah, very, yeah, it's, when you think through it, it's kind of been troubling a bit, but um, bringing our discussion full circle, you know, you began your, your sermon on Sunday by saying, by asking the question, if, if, if we had, God said, gave us the choice of anything that we wanted, what would we ask for? And, you know, that raised the question, like, would God have given Solomon anything that he asked for? I think the answer is no. Of course, this is speculation. Um, but I think the answer is no, and I think that the reason uh, I would say that is, is found in the text, where he says, because you did not ask for long life and riches and the death of your enemies. Essentially saying that, you know, if you had asked for those things, 
I might not have given them to you, right? So it's, uh, it's very similar with us when we pray in, in that um, God invites us to ask for anything we want, right? We have that same invitation that was given to Solomon repeated throughout the New Testament. Um, you know, Matthew and Luke and in, in John and First John, it, we're told these things, right? This is the confidence we have that anything we ask, we know that he hears us and according to his will, he gives it to us. That's First John 5. And the key there is that we're praying according to his will. And, you know, one of the things I said a few weeks ago, which um, I find a lot of comfort in when it comes to prayer, is that uh, with God, what we have is a father, not a genie, right? A genie has to give you what you want, even if it's not good for you. But a father uh, knows you best and loves you most and is committed to your good, not just to, he's not just a dispenser, right? That you, you uh, put in the coin of prayer, pull the lever and get what you want. No, he is a father you go to with your needs. You tell him, this is what I want. And as a father, he says, ask me for anything. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to give you everything if you ask for something that he knows is not good for you. And that's great. That's really good news. I mean, you can think of a five-year-old, you know, wanting a bazooka because bazookas are fun or wanting a boa constrictor. I remember when I was a kid, my uncle had a boa constrictor and I really wanted one. And my parents were like, no, you know what? Maybe no. Uh, probably a good idea. I remember one time my uncle's boa constrictor got loose in his house. And, you know, if I would have been a child and get a boa constrictor loose in my house, it, disastrous things could happen. So I might think that I know what is best for me or what is going to lead to greatest joy and happiness in my life. But God, as a father who is also all-knowing, uh, he will determine what I really need and he runs everything through the filter. So yes, I can ask for anything. And the good news is that I can trust him that he's going to give me what I really need, uh, not just what I think I need. And that takes some humility, doesn't it? It takes some humility for us to say, God, you know more than I do, and you are wiser than I am, and I recognize that I am limited, so therefore I trust in you. Right? I mean, the other option is we say, God, you didn't give me this thing I wanted, and I know what's best for me, and err, right? Um, but it, that's where, you know, who God is matters so much. Yeah, and many times we make the mistake of, well, God didn't give me what, what I wanted, so I'm going to go get it. And we yeah. get ourselves into trouble, and then God's got to bail us out of that as well. <laughs> so, and we're going to talk about that in chapter four. Chapter four. All right. Well, I hope you join us in chapter four. And uh, just a lot of questions. This is a way, and it's a great way to look at the text. You know, sometimes we just read through these passages and we just kind of, you know, just take verbatim what they say. But sometimes it's it's good to dive down into the characters and start asking some of these questions and just kind of, you know, see where the Lord takes you with these kind of things. And, um, and so I hope you're going to continue this journey with us through first and second Kings, um, and, uh, find us up on YouTube and Facebook and get all our services are streamed online on Sunday mornings and, uh, please share and, uh, with, with those, your family members and those you might know. And, uh, we certainly look forward to having you with us again next week. God bless you. Thank you.